This is the Red on Red podcast on redfm.ie. This week on the podcast, we're talking with DJ and Leaside Hip Hop Trailblazer, Justin O'Donnell, a.k.a. DJ Just Me.
gonna be the first to say I ain't jealous, but it's a man who's haunting me. Secretly clouding my judgment against you, I guess it's healthier for me to cherish yourself. Close to me now, my belly touching. Stay patient enough to make me wanna make you wanna make me wanna make it, baby. I like the way that you tease it. I don't give up this pace. I don't wanna doubt you. Brand new singles from Cork artists O Emperor with New Fish Tank and Chukra with Don't Wanna Doubt You. This is Red on Red, Cork's new music podcast dropping every Wednesday via redfm.ie as well as iTunes, Google Podcast and other podcast platforms. My name is Mike McGrath-Brien and for the next hour or so we're joined in studio by DJ, Scratchologist, one-time record dealer and Cutting Heads Collective mastermind Justin O'Donnell aka DJ Just Me. Just, how's it going, man? How are you getting on, Mike? Grand now. Thanks a million for coming along the show. Oh, thank you. You've been busy in recent weeks. Of course, we're all kind of knee-deep in festival season. How have you been? You're uh, you're, de- you're a man that's been through the wars over the last couple of weeks. Uh, yeah, no, we've had a busy couple of weeks. We were, uh, yeah, we did the Mallow Arts Festival with you, actually, which was brilliant. Um, great little spot out there. With, uh, Kepler's. Kepler's, yeah. Yeah. Kepler's, yeah, Doc running that. Um, yeah, so that was good crack. Uh, what else did we do? Townlands, yeah. yeah. Townlands was good. I played out there with the cookout lads. Um, so, yeah, had fun. I, I didn't camp out there or anything. I just kind of popped out for... Yeah, a little while on the Saturday and the Sunday. But yeah, great festival. I think it was the best year they've done yet. The Ska and Reggae Festival then on Sunday. How did that work out? That's right. That was great. Yeah, uh, we did an all-day kind of kid-friendly reggae event thing. Um, yeah, just me and some old friends from uh, that I grew up with. And yeah, Jonesy was there and Key and Finn took over afterwards. What's it like DJing for kids? Uh, brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> As in, what kind of uh, reactions do you get, etc.? Obviously, it's unfamiliarity. It's more just kind of raw enthusiasm. But other than that, yeah, they just like to run around and have a good time. I don't know how much attention they pay to the music, but that's fine. You know, They're, it's just good to have that kind of young energy there. Kids running around, bouncing around. It's uh, yeah, makes it more fun. Speaking of young energy, you've been at this from quite a young age. Kind of maybe take us through some of your earliest experiences uh, and your formative experiences with hip-hop and the related oeuvre. Uh, well, I was born in the States, um, so a kind of hip-hop would have been around from when I was really young. Um, trying to think of when I kind of was aware of it, but uh, yeah, I was just always really into kind of collecting music in general, I suppose. Kind of obsessively collecting music. That's kind of been my buzz ever since back then. Just getting tapes off friends and just... That constant search for new music, I guess. So you arrive in Cork in the early 1990s, and right away it's a lot smaller frame of reference, it's a lot smaller community, and so on and so forth. What is that transition kind of like? I, I suppose it was a kind of weird age to uproot yourself and move to a different country. It was a huge change, but um, yeah, we just kind of made the most of it. Uh, things were a lot different. I think hip-hop was kind of harder to find, I guess, um, which I was already really into before I moved over here. Mm. So before we moved over here, my dad came over and he was kind of checking the place out. And before he did, you know, I was going, oh, in Ireland, they're not going to have any hip hop music or anything, you know. And My dad was saying, they will, they will. So when he came over to check things out, he actually went into HMV or something and asked them for like an Irish example of hip hop. 
and they ended up giving him the Marksman CD, which was, uh, was it 33 revelations per minute or whatever yeah. it is. So he brought that home to me. He was there. There you go. Irish rap music. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was really good, too. We played that tape a lot. Like, so. Or did you make a scary era coming up then? And that kind really? of... Yeah, yeah. A scary era I would have discovered a little bit later. I probably would have been, I don't know, 16 or 17 before I would have heard that, all that doll Q stuff. Probably before I heard that, I would have heard, like, the R. Law stuff in Cork, um, just on Radio Friendly or whatever. Uh, Harvey was doing a radio show at the time so that was a big thing for me Stevie G's show as well the soul shows and he had hip hop shows and Harvey would have on uh, Exile Live rapping live in the studio or whatever so that was the first time I was like oh there's an Irish guy rapping Even he's American as well actually he's from California as well but uh, yeah it was still like a guy living in Cork making hip hop music that was really good so when did you start venturing into DJing, selectoring, and what have you? Yeah, so, I mean, as I said, it was just always just collecting music all the time. As soon as, you know, I was able to have my little part-time jobs when I was 15 or 16, I was going out buying all the CDs. And I kind of fell into the record DJing thing almost by accident. Like, I'd be going into, say, I guess, Comet Records at the time would have been huge as well as HMV and all these places but um, so I go into uh, Comet Records and they might have a record that I really wanted you know ask if they had the CD they didn't so I knew my mother had like her little record player or whatever I was like alright just give me the record I'll deal with that so yeah within you know six months I probably had 50 of these things lying around well, maybe I'll get some decks and try that out so that's what I did and just kind of fell in love with it your earliest DJing experiences your earliest gigging experiences <laughs> in Cork I can hear the laughter coming through already um, and what, what are your stories kind of your, your, your explorations into playing other people's music for a profession uh, yeah the early ones I would have done a lot of it was just like parties for friends you know 18th birthdays things like that then we ended up doing a night out in Balancholic randomly enough uh I was with Alan Devitt and my brother. Alan is, uh, he still DJs with me with the reggae gigs. I was playing with him um, on Sunday, actually. Uh, so, yeah, the three of us did this night out in Balancholic. In the Oriel, which was much different then than it is now. It's quite nice now. Um, so, yeah, it was basically we'd start off. I'd play hip-hop for the first half of the night, and then Alan and my brother would take over and play house for the second half. Yeah, we did that. I think it was weekly for, I don't know, maybe two months or something like that, two or three months. Yeah, we had some good times out there. This was probably 99, I would think. Yeah, maybe 99, maybe 2000. Flash forward a couple of years then, and you are part of the Impressionists, uh, Corkonian funk, hip-hop, fusion yeah. artists. How did that come together? Uh, so before I was doing it, my friend Alan Kennedy was doing some DJing for him. And, uh, I think he ended up moving away around that time. So I ended up stepping in, playing with him, which was fun. Yeah. I, okay, I learned a lot actually playing with the band and just with scratching and everything, learning how to be real simple with it and not step on toes and listen to what the people around you were doing. And it all ended up helping my DJing later on, I think, you know. The art of scratchology, mm -hmm. um, you know, obviously it's one of those things that looks simple until you try it. Um, how did you happen across it, etc.? How does one perfect a technique at it and then working it into a live situation? What are the pratfalls of all of this? Um, well, yeah, so I suppose how I got into it was just randomly as soon as I got the decks and the turntables. Just being into hip hop, I wanted to know how that worked and... You just start messing around with it. I think now it's a lot easier because you have all these YouTube um, tutorials and there's lots of places you can go to learn it. Whereas before, you pretty much just had to try different things until you stumbled on something that worked. And, which was cool in its own way because I think it, uh, that kind of made everyone who was doing it at the time have a different sound. Whereas now everyone's watching the same videos and ends up, you know, sounding quite similar. They're all doing the same type of cuts and... The Impressionists wound up uh, with a decent amount of touring under their belts in the end. Yeah, they did a lot of shows. Well, they won some competition with some label, um, which, uh, yeah, 
the label was a uh, I don't know, kind of nonsense, but to be fair to them, they paid for a lot of stuff. They paid for good studio time, and they got us a lot of gigs, you know, in some big venues. Um, so, yeah, like, before I joined the group, they actually sent them to, what's it, South Africa, yeah. So, I was hoping when I joined the group, there'd be more of that carry-on, but it never really worked out. What, but, you put that down to, or? Um, well, I think the label folded, like, kind of halfway through what they were supposed to be doing for us they ended up paying for our studio time which we were happy enough with we recorded a little EP out there when we come back we'll talk a little bit about hip hop in the recession era for Cork City but first Joss you picked a playlist for us earlier on we heard from Shukra and O Emperor and now you've got some beats from Blues Blues yeah great producer Um, he did a gig with us recently enough in the Vic actually Alongside Jar Jar Jr. Jar Jar was there as well, yeah. The two of them are, friend, are friends. They kind of make uh, similar music, I guess. This one by Blues is more of a house thing, but he does a lot of that kind of uh, uh, instrumental hip-hop, jazzy beats kind of thing, <laughs> whatever you want to call that. Which is also very definitely in the wheelhouse of Jar Jar Jr., who, exactly, produced, yeah. um, who produced Kojak's new cut, Bubby Scream, which we have here. Correct. Yeah. Um, just the numbers that Jar Jar has gotten because his stuff is so it leans so hard into the kind of jazzy lo-fi hip-hop tradition which again lends itself to so much in the way of fan videos like those fanimations that his doom cuts get etc mm. like it's crazy the amount of numbers that he gets comparative to like the relatively quiet gigging that he's managed I mean what do you make of it? Yeah I don't know why that is um I suppose it, the the live thing is still new to him. Like uh, the 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 first gig he did with us was the when we had Kojak down actually. Yeah. So that was the first time he'd performed live at all. Um, so I I think he's still just getting his head around it and trying to figure out how he wants to present it. And I, I, he just did the Sunday Times birthday. We meant to have killed it out there. We were still at the reggae thing. But um, yeah, he's great live. So I think once he gets a little more comfortable with it, we'll see more of it. We'll hear from Jar Jar Jr. momentarily, but first, this is Blues with Worthless here on Red on Red.
for the pound We split a fifth out of Henny I'm talking sober shit now and this isn't confession I'm acting the child I'm saying prayers and hanging out you Y'all been talking a while That's a lie I've been talking You just didn't reply Just not that into it But that won't satisfy I've got to pick apart the 50 different ways that you hate me Oh cause I got left on the shelf Me and you were never more than a daydream Maybe I just hate myself Cause all the signs were present And all the looks checked out And we've been smitten since seven I had the numbers to dial Even acted the gentleman Kissed goodbye and a smile Told me that you hadn't been in love in a while So where did I mess up? Did I come on too strong? Was I the next too many? Did we make love too long? I write your name too many times Throughout these songs I feel I'm falling I fall for these failures I liked it better when we were strangers about the grip to bite until I make it to majors There's no room that you're in So for now can we fuck in the manger So for now can we fuck in the manger So for now let's fuck in the manger I'm less of a wise man, more a prodigal son Follow anything that glitters, spend my gold on a gun Hold up the Grammys for gramophones Oh man, don't come to see us on on stage I'm not your waste of the funds It's been invested in me since I smashed the skin of them drums I beg for NPCs to beat my eardrums None request those burnt CDs I cash the skin and blunts A lie like late night walks But used to clear these lungs <laughs> Featuring production from Cork beatmaker Jar Jar Jr. with Bubby's Cream here on Red on Red. Still joined in studio by just me. And just before we went to music, we'd started talking a little bit about what happened in the late 2000s with your own band. But also, as has been a recurring theme on the show when we've spoken to other people, the late 2000s was kind of a transformative time in Cork. A lot of people arrived in town, a lot of people left, etc. Which is the natural turnover of independent music in any small city really but around this time you had also started DJing slash record stalling the hobo convention which is yourself and collaborators spinning discs and then later flipping them to interested parties how'd that come about? so yeah um, uh, that was a collaboration hobo convention originally was me my brother and a good friend Kieran uh, CW, he DJs as these days. Uh, my brother was kind of getting into selling records at the time, so we decided to like bring that as part of the night. Um, so we set up the records to sell. We'd invite other people to bring records to sell. Um, just try to encourage that kind of collector community. We could all hang out all day, talk about records, buy some stuff, trade, and. Uh, yeah, and then play music all day, and we'd usually have like a producer at the time, or a producer come in and do a live set later. Um, around that time, I suppose it was just uh, towards the beginning of all that um, kind of left field hip hop beats, you know, the, the um, low end theory kind of sound. So you had a bunch of Irish artists that were doing that quite well at the time. People like Sir One, Monto. Sir One came down and did something for you inside in the rail chair, didn't he? 
He did Sir One, yeah. He, Sir One was our first guest. He was our first guest in the Rails, yeah. Um, so there was a lot of producers like that at the time. People like I don't know Simon Bird. There was a oh, uh, Lemonada. Um, yeah, I don't know. I can't think <laughs> anymore at the moment. But there was loads, and we booked most of them. Bookings obviously went between venues an awful lot. I remember the Hobo Convention turning up in the PAV. You had a residency at the Rail Jarg. Uh, you occasionally sold records at the midweek gigs that we did at the Quad. Right. The lineup of venues um, at the time, obviously now the mist of uh, nostalgia starting to descend upon them a little bit. So we've just kind of been asking people to come through, etc. Just kind of recount their experiences with these venues while memories are still fresh before romanticism starts setting in. What was your take on the venues available to people at the time? What you did with them, etc. Um, yeah, I, I suppose uh, Hobo Convention. Uh, I wasn't as busy back then as I am now, so I was really just looking for one place a month where we could run that, sell our records, and all that. So um, route Darg served our purpose perfectly up to a point that place ended up closing. So that's when we moved down to the Pav, which was brilliant. We were down there for. Uh, a little over a year, I think. We were doing a, a monthly Sunday gig downstairs in the bar. Uh, and we finished up in the PAV, and I kind of did it more sporadically after that and gulped and a couple other places, I think. Yeah, I, I have no complaints whatsoever about the Unreal Dark, the PAV, obviously. They were always um, super supportive. The Hobo Collective also happens around the same time as uh, a more casual interest uh, re-emerges in vinyl. It starts with the city's musicians and music types beginning to want to find things on wax again, roughly around 2006 to 2008. Um, what was your take on the kind of clientele that was coming in to Hobo Collective? Was it still collectors? Was it still beatmakers? Or was there the the buds of this vinyl revival, quote-unquote, as we're seeing today? Um, no, I, I think... All uh, proper collectors, even the young people who came in, I didn't think any of them were just like jumping on a, a trend or anything. You know, the people who came into our nights kind of knew their stuff and were passionate about records. So uh, I have my complaints about the vinyl revival, but I, I don't see that as um, showing itself at Hobo Convention anyway. So obviously with the closure of venues as the recession wears on, Houses start to dwindle because people simply can't afford it. There's cultural changes in casual gig attendance, etc. And it especially affects Cork Hip Hop's bottom line because in the absence of the PAV, Lifestyles maybe goes on for another year or so in the Camden Palace Hotel before folding. It seems as though the floor has kind of been taken from underneath a lot of genres in Cork City, but especially hip hop. What were your thoughts around this time? How do you react to something like that happening in your community? Yeah, I really don't know. I mean, I, I just kind of stepped back from a lot of things for a while. Now, the lifestyle thing, I mean, there were more than just venue issues there, you know what I mean? We were getting uh, less and less funding each year, and it just became harder to run at the same level. You know, we could have uh, done like a smaller kind of version of it, I suppose. Yeah, we just decided to wrap that up. Hobo convention after the PAV went, I was doing a couple gigs and gulped every now and again, but my brother had moved away, Kieran wasn't as involved as before, so a lot of that work was on me and I just didn't have the energy to be putting them on all the time. What fascinates me is official funding or state funding for contemporary festivals and so forth because... Um, you know, it can be difficult. Uh, it can be difficult when so much contemporary music is, is kind of led to the, the mercies and the vagaries of the market. What were your experiences in getting kind of civic funding, uh, arts council funding, etc., for dealing specifically with lifestyles and what were kind of the hoops that had to be jumped? Yeah, well, Ross handled a lot of that. Um, what it is, there's a huge amount of work involved and what you get at the end of it isn't always worth the amount of time that you put in to get, you know, the small amount of money that they end up giving you. Um, but, uh, yeah, if you're patient and you have the time to fill out the forms, I mean, you, you can get some money off them, you know. Thing, I don't know, the good times are back apparently, so maybe they're giving away money again, I don't know. <laughs> we haven't applied for funding in a long time now, so... Do you think such a thing could apply to the Cuttingheads Collective? Uh, we won't write it out. Yeah. 
<laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit about the Cutting Heads Collective, but right now we'll go back to some more tunes. Just, you've got uh, Midnight in the City from producer Chance and Column K's Beginnings. Yeah, um, Chance, Column O'Mani. Um, he, he used to rap with a hip-hop group called Metabolics. Um, people might remember the tune Marijuana Trauma. <laughs> uh, so uh, that group was actually my friend Kieran, who we were running the whole Hobo Convention with. And um, Johnny Dubes, who is now My Name is John, and Chance. So that was the three of them. Um, My Name is John is coming down playing a gig with Kieran up in Pigal. And Chance is going to be there. So this will be the first time. Well, this weekend, isn't it? It's the, the, yeah, the bank holiday Sunday. So, yeah, that'll be the first time the three of them have been together in, I think it's like a decade, because uh, Chance was in uh, Asia for a long time teaching over there, so he's just back in Cork now. Um, he's making some good beats these days. He's not rapping anymore, but uh, yeah. And you got some Colin K. Colin K, yeah. I, I don't think I need to say too much about him. We'll go straight into it. So the man in needs no introduction. Colin K with beginnings here on Red on Red.
Colum K there with beginnings on Red on Red. Just, we spoke a little bit about hip-hop, kind of after lifestyles and things kind of maybe winding down a little bit. And it's this set of circumstances that leads you to start kind of putting together and formulate a plan for what would eventually become Cork's hip-hop co-op, the Cutting Heads Collective. Summer of 2015, there was a couple of successful hip-hop shows, just kind of apropos of nothing, which kind of set the wheels in motion a little bit for people to start talking to one another. And tis yourself that we can give credit to for kind of bringing together a bunch of a bunch of disparate heads uh, with different strengths and so forth to try and provide a united front for hip-hop in Cork. What was that process like? And how did you manage to corral so many different people into one kind of singular cause so uh, yeah I, I thought it kind of made sense to get as you know many like-minded people who i trusted to uh just get involved and help me out with this stuff people i thought would be interested so uh yeah i sent out some emails to some people um and yeah everyone was really receptive to it and before we knew it we had about 10 people more probably up about 15 at one point what goes into identifying different people's strengths and weaknesses when it comes to putting people together and, you know, finding out really what makes people tick and what could make something like this tick? Um, I, I suppose, uh, first and foremost, you kind of want, uh, you know, talented people who bring something creative to it, but um, you also want reliable people. Uh, I think that's that's huge. People who are going to do the work um they're going to, uh, you know, show up to the gigs. Um, all that stuff is massive, you know. So they were just a lot of people that I'd worked bef- with before in one way or another that I that I knew would uh, uh, take the project seriously, you know. So that was kind of the starting point for that, I guess. It started with occasional gigs before making its way onto a weekly residency in the urban jungle venue fairly early in the collective's lifespan. What was it like to kind of have that kind of opportunity thrown at you as a means of either kind of learning to work around each other fairly quickly, dealing with the vagaries and ups and downs of running bigger shows independently, stuff like Illa J, etc. happened at Urban Jungle. Was it a sink or swim type situation? How, did, how, how do you look back at it now? Um, so I was pretty excited about the time about running the weekly gig in Cork. I thought the regularity of it would uh, help. Um, so we ran the weekly thing for almost six months. Um, I was actually pretty surprised about how well the collective kind of got on as people and as well um, just that they worked well together. Um, so yeah, we, we had a good six months in Urban Jungle. Um, the venue itself weren't as easy to deal with. Um, I I suppose I won't bother going into that any. <laughs> but yeah, um, so eventually we ended up parting ways with them. Um, we started doing things in a bunch of different venues, really. Um, from there, you work more specifically now with the poor relation on a monthly gig residency and another monthly residency DJing slash. Uh, guest DJ slots at the Vickerstone. Those have come together really, really nicely and provided kind of two pillars of an offering for the Cutting Heads Collective, both for people to drop in and out of uh, on the running of, also just as an offering for the general public. Kind of, what's the vibe like now within the group, etc.? Kind of, what's the creative process of making suggestions from different people? And also the process of reaching out to other collectives because we see that you've got another gig now next month in the poor relation with DTAX. Yeah, the DTAX thing is good. Um, So he hit us up, actually. He was uh, over from the UK doing some gigs and he was looking for other places to gig while he was over here. And we sorted it out. You know, he, he does great music, so I'm excited about that gig. A lot of the people who were originally involved with Cutting Heads have moved on, um, you know, a bunch of people. We had a couple lads moved to Berlin. We had uh, others over in the UK. Shiv just moved up to Dublin, although she's still going to be involved in what we're doing. Um, She's down regularly enough that it's uh, helpful. But still, um, it's it's harder for her to be involved in full-time level when she's up there. Um, So the group has gotten smaller. which isn't a bad thing, I don't necessarily think, you know. There's still plenty of us there to get the work done that we need to. Um, I think 
when you're going a couple of years, it, it starts to get to a point where it's exhausting. When you're running, you know, for six months we were doing one a week at least. Um, now we're, we're, we're down to probably two gigs a month, um, which is still a lot to keep up, you know. Um, just with the promo of it and all the work that goes into it, it's nonstop. Uh, there's constantly something new, and I have other projects outside of cutting heads with you know, I don't know, cookout and the rig, things that I do with the lads, and other bits and pieces as well. It's just random bar gigs that I do for money. But um, so yeah, it, it, as it goes on, you know, we're coming into nearly in our third year now. Um, or sorry, no, nearly had our third birthday, so we'll be going into our fourth year. Third you, birthday gig coming up soon as well. Yeah, in November. Um, but it, this far in, you start to get a real respect for crews who have kept their things going for, you know, 10, 15 years. Um, it, it's not easy, you know. You mentioned Chris Power and Gunkel that both went away to Berlin. Before you did so, they did. Cotton Heads functions as a net label, more so than anything else, a release house for two albums of Chris Powers. Have you had any curiosity about re-entering the label game, both from like a Bandcamp perspective as a kind of an umbrella for independent releases from collective members, that sort of thing? Um, okay, so first thought, disclaimer, we were never a label. <laughs> um, but, but okay, we, clearing we, house, release house, etc. Sure, yeah. Um, well, do you know when we put out Chris's thing first, we had quite a few people get on to us um, wanting us to you know kind of put out their stuff or whatever and some of it was really good and we talked about it for a while and we didn't feel that we could give this stuff the platform that it deserved we didn't feel like we could put the work in behind it and we thought it would be unfair to these people and to kind of just you know take their music and put it on Bandcamp, and that's all we did i mean that's not what a label does you know what i mean there's more work involved in getting people the right people to hear the music and that wasn't something that we could really provide or wasn't something that we were interested in pursuing. So, uh, no, we kind of left the band camp there as a place where if people in the collective wanted to release music on there, they could. And that's pretty much the only purpose it serves. So. What's the plan going forward then for the Cutting Heads? Like, what do you see happening in the future now that you're kind of past the two, three-year mark? I don't know. I mean, I, I don't have any, like, big mad plans for it or anything I, I just enjoy doing gigs with the lads I enjoy hanging out with them yeah that's about all I want from it you know when we come back we'll talk a little bit about upcoming gigs but right now we'll return to your playlist Static with Switch and Brian Ring with Love Taken Over yeah um, two lads that I've known for a long time um, Brian Ring is an old friend of mine he moved to Berlin a while back he's doing great over there he's released some stuff on some really big labels running back and uh, you know, it's a, a nice feeling when you see your friends do well like that it's uh, proud of him cool Brian cool Brian <laughs> but uh, and yeah John Hennessy as well who I've known for years and years he's obviously a part of uh, Sunday Times and yeah his, his productions are sounding amazing so we'll get straight into it so with John Hennessy aka Static with Switch here on red, on red.
Brian Ring with Love Taking Over here on Red on Red. Before we wrap it up, just cutting heads, as we mentioned at the outset, quite, quite busy and you're keeping quite, quite busy for the rest of the summer season, really. I mean, take us through the cutting heads itinerary and your own, uh, I suppose, your own DJ engagements for the rest of the for the rest of the next couple of weeks. So, okay, yeah, we have... So this weekend coming up, we have Independence Festival. Um, so myself and Shiv are doing back-to-back set out there between 4 and 7.30. So there's that one. Then we have uh, Cookout on Sunday as well, which... Um, uh, yeah, so who do we have with us? We have uh, Jonesy with us, another Cottonheads lad, and uh, Brendan O'Brien. Um, so that'll be the Cookout thing for this month. I think Gilbert's playing with us as well, actually, yeah, Gilbert Steele. So, yeah, that'll be a full day of it between 3 and 2 o'clock in the morning. Uh, they're a long day. Um, there's, uh, what else do we have coming up? Detox as well. That's the 25th of August. Um, we're looking at a pre-party for that as well. I can't give out any details about it just yet because we're Ooh. still in kind of negotiations with it. But it's something cool and different. And if you come to this pre-party, you'll get in free to the D-Tax gig after. But I can't say any more for now. <laughs> we'll probably take October off and focus on the birthday in November. So we're looking at a big lineup for that as well. Um, and you've got your own residencies in the Crane Lane and Dali and all of this to take care of. Sure, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I haven't got another date in Dali yet, so I'm not quite sure when that'll be happening. So we've been doing them on the Thursday. They've been going well. Um, yeah, usual... I don't know, Crane Lane, Pigau kind of stuff. But, uh, yeah. It's all in the day's work, really, isn't it? There you go. We'll leave it at that. That is all for this week's episode of Red on Red, Cork's new music podcast from redfm.ie. Thank you very much for Justin O'Donnell, a.k.a. Just Me, for coming in and talking shite with us this evening. Thank you, Mike. Yeah, good work on the podcast. I'm listening to it every week. It's a uh, it's good listen. Yeah, it's good to have, like, a Cork-based um, one as well. I know... Like the point of everything, Owen's doing his one, but it's more Irish music in general. Um, it's good to have like a very Cork-focused one there. So, and thanks work, a million. Man. The music is such a good quality as well. Every week, just listening to the music that people are picking or that you pick yourself, and it's like, yeah, constantly blown away by just the talent we have in our city and the high standard of music. It's. Uh, I was going to say, isn't that such positive. a reflection on what we have here and what we have yeah. in this town? Then, yeah, yeah. And thank you very much for listening. If you like what you're hearing, please take the time to subscribe, leave us a review on iTunes, Google Podcasts, and all your other podcast platforms. Please share us on your social media and make sure to check out the artists featured online or at an upcoming gig. And if you'd like more Irish tunes, please be sure to listen into Green on Red on Sunday nights with Alan O'Donovan for the best of all that is Irish on Cork's Red FM 104 to 106. Just you're leaving us with a listen to your brand new band with Ophelia. What is... Base Needs. Uh, base Needs, yeah. Okay, so that's kind of Ophelia's project. Um, it's So she's doing vocals and bass. You have Adam O'Leary on drums and Eamon Barry on keys and myself doing the old scratchy, scratchy bits. So the recording here is from a live show we did for um, Ophelia's kind of college show, I guess, in the Cork School of Music. And um, yeah, I've been having fun playing with the lads. Nice to do the band thing again. Um, so... Hope you like it. Brand new music from Cork City with bass needs. And you remind me, this is Red on Red. And we'll talk to you next week.
Red on Red.